Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We got a half hour this morning. Let's, uh, let's get into the word. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you'd open our ears to hear Anoint my mouth to speak. And Father, I'm asking that you would speak your word. Lord, I ask that you would release fire on our hearts. Ignite us for intimacy. In Jesus' name, amen. If I forget before we close, remind me to share what Joel Budd just sent me in a text, okay? Just yell it out. Pastor, what about Joel? Because I may forget. All right. Now, last week, which seems like three weeks ago, and there's a whole lot of turkey between then and here. Uh, last week, we talked about two warnings the Apostle Paul gave us in regards to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people will use these two warnings interchangeably, but they're not. But they both do have to do with our interaction with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, he tells us, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, I want to say it's 4.30 maybe. And, uh, and then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe it is, he says, quench not the Spirit. Ephesians says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. I like how he adds that little element. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And in 1 Thessalonians, quench not the Holy Spirit. And so this this admonition against grieving and quenching the Spirit. Uh, those two things, it's, both are talking about a sensitivity to the third person of the Godhead. That there is a relationship we need with the Holy Spirit. We, have, we understand that the Son, we have a relationship with Jesus. He's the mediator between God and man. He, he reconciles us to the Father so that we may have a relationship with the Father. The Father sent the Son to reconcile us to the Father, but the Son sent the Spirit. And we need to realize that we can have a relationship with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship with us. And Paul tells us, don't grieve him and don't quench him. The idea of grieving him, the word means to hurt one's feelings, to cause someone to withdraw. To me, that's an amazing thing, that God himself has made his own feelings vulnerable to my behavior. Some want to reduce that to what is called an anthropomorphism. That's a big word for saying God's trying to talk to us on a human level, act like he's human just so we can relate with him. No, God is not insincere in what he's communicating there. He really is vulnerable to your behavior. The Spirit of God longs to have a relationship with you. When we get in worship and we begin to worship him, he begins to settle on us. There is a a relationship, a sensitivity that can be developed over time that we carry his presence. He's not just an uh, an unwelcomed indweller, which is a weird phrase, but there's a difference between... Matter of fact, Paul... In Ephesians chapter 
3, I believe it is, he talks about that, he says, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. He's talking to believers. Jesus already dwells in us by the Spirit. But that word dwell has the idea of settling down and making a home, being welcomed. It's, that, it's indicative of this tender relationship. That's what Paul is attributing to the Spirit in Ephesians. Don't grieve the Spirit. The grieving admonition has to do with your relationship of intimacy with him. Whereas your quenching the Spirit has to do with your partnership in ministry. One is a private thing, one is a public thing. This is the one-on-one relationship that I have with him. I don't want to grieve him. And if you have any walk with God at all, you've been there and you know what I'm talking about when I use that word grief. And I don't say that lightly. I said it last week and I'll say it again. I know what it is to grieve the spirit. And most often for me, it's saying things I shouldn't say. It's letting my tongue say something and the spirit, it's like the spirit is saying, don't do it. Oh, that's, and I brush over that and I feel the grieving of the spirit and I feel him lift. It's, it's not that he's, it's not that I'm going to hell. He, he'll never leave me or forsake me, but I don't have that relationship, that tight, close, intimate relationship that I could have. I have grieved my wife at times in things I do. Didn't mean that suddenly we weren't married anymore. She was still Mrs. Dave Olson. She may not want to have to been at that moment. <laughs> but that, in, that tender intimacy that we have, I've got to tend to that. I remember, I, I'm Norwegian. Uh, I, I'm from up in northern Minnesota. Yeah, don't you know. <laughs> and uh, up there, Norwegians are infamous for being very non-emotional. I'm, I'm not that way. I'm... I'm, I've been beat up a lot, okay? Life has been, kind of made me more emotional. And uh, I, I'm good with that. But up there, there's, there's a joke about Sven. His wife comes to him. She says, oh, Sven, you know, we've been married 20 years and you've never told me you love me. And he said, you know, he's some effect of, you know, hey, I told you on the day we got married and if I ever changed my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> That's not good enough. You can't, you can't live. Oh, yeah, right. Isn't that horrifying? You can't, you can't live in marriage like that, and you don't live in your relationship with God like that. He wants to know you, and he wants a relationship with you. And we need to develop that sensitivity that we don't quench him. And then we don't want to grieve. We don't want to grieve him, rather, and we don't want to quench him. When God wants to move through us, we want to be willing to take the risks, and we want to step out. And there are times, you know, there, there's... People have used the old idea of the weird uncle being representative of the Holy Spirit. You ever heard those kind of stories? You ever heard the stories about weird uncles? I think every family has one. My my kids have one named Christopher. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, we all love Christopher. uh, But you know, there's there's those people in the family that just are a little, little different, you know? Well, sometimes people will look at the Holy Spirit that way because when he begins to move in church, if you were raised in a Pentecostal church, you know what I'm talking about. The one time you bring a friend from school, Sister McGillicuddy starts shaking and bobby pins start flying and she gives a prophetic word in King James English and you know, and you do, you're trying to figure out how to explain it to your friends. 
It's in those contexts that Paul's saying, quench not the Holy Spirit. I, rem- I was just telling a story at uh, Thanksgiving. My dad and I were reminiscing about a lot of things. And uh, when I was a teenager, Jerry Dunham, Pastor Seth Dunham used to be on staff here. His father was my pastor when I got saved. And uh, Jerry was a wonderful man of God. Took my family in when we were just really, my dad was hurt and he had to resign his church because of my brother and I's drug use and took my dad under his wing and and, uh, my dad became the evangelism pastor. Wonderful man of God. And the first time I ever preached, Jerry, I, I was just home from Bible school and uh, he comes to the back row and he said, hey, Dave, come sit up front. You're preaching tonight. I'm like, <laughs> be instant in season and, you know, out of season. So uh, I preached that first time. Jerry was just that way. He would pull people in and bring the best out of you. And, and, uh, but Jerry was a man of the spirit. And I remember in, in, when I was in high school, there was a, he had this contest. He said, the person who brings the most people to Sunday school, we're going to give a $70 check to, to. Well, I happened to be there visiting my parents that morning. I wasn't living at home anymore. I was about 16 years old. And uh, I heard that. So I went to school and I stood up and I said, okay, everybody, if you come to church with me, I'll buy a keg. And uh, so, man, I mean, I filled several rows of people. I, one Sunday, I won it hands down. I mean, it was packed out. And uh, my dad was very concerned. He went to the pastor and he said, Jerry, you know what he's going to do with that money. And Jerry said, they're going to hear the word. Not, you know, we've already given him our word. And, and, uh, but a lot of kids heard the word that day. And I remember one of them came back with me. Now, remember, I, I'm back soon. I don't even know what I was doing there on a Sunday night. And the Spirit of God began to move. And Jerry said, I want everybody, let's grab each other's hands. And I remember my friend, Jerry, stuck his hands in his pockets, he's looking around. I said, what, what's the matter? He said, I'm afraid my, hand, my hands are going to fly up. He just thought God was pulling people's hands up, and, but he could feel something in the room. I have found that it's not the unbeliever that gets freaked out by the Spirit. It's believers. Unbelievers may say, well, I've never seen it like this, but there's something in this room I've never felt. This is awesome. (laughs) Quench not the spirit. We need to let him move. Here's the thing. We don't want to grieve him. We don't want to quench him. But there's more than just not grieving and quenching. There's more than just not doing wrong things. The Spirit of God wants a relationship with us. There is more in God available to us. So let's jump into it here. Let's put it this way. All believers have access to the Spirit of God. All believers have access to the presence of God. But not all believers have equal access. Now I want that just to settle for a moment because there may be an argument in your mind like, wait, wait a minute. Sounds like you're going to bump up against works here, pastor. No, I'm not talking about works. But the fact is we intuitively know in our own hearts that not everybody has the same level of access experientially. We all know that there are certain people that carry a level of the presence of God, of revelation, 
There's certain people that, whether it's encounter, however you want to say it, they, they walk in a greater dimension than other believers. It's accessible to all of us. But not all of us take advantage of it. Maybe that's a better way to say it. We see this in scripture and we see this in our own experiences. And God wants to reveal more to every one of us. He wants a deeper relationship with us. But we've got to take advantage of that. We're the ones that put the lid on it. And we see this. This this phrase has just been rolling around in my head this week. Proximity to his presence. There are levels of proximity to Jesus. Some people live closer than others. Now, if relationship with him is a free gift, why is that? It's not because God is limiting it. It's because we are. You can see this in the Old and New Testaments. Matter of fact, I would propose to you that the three-level court system of the Old Testament is a picture of this. It's a lesson. You say, well, yeah, Pastor, but that, that's irrelevant to us as New Testament believers because we are living in a new covenant. We have access to him. We come boldly before the throne of grace. And that's true. But even in the Old Testament, we see David talking about this access, and he sets up a criteria. Psalm 24, we've talked about it many times here. It's one of my favorite passages. It's in my top 400 favorite passages, Psalm 24. He says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? David's asking this question. And again, we don't need to go over this ground too much because we've talked about this many times. But for those of you that have never heard me teach on this, what we need to understand is David is asking a question that in the mind of virtually everybody else alive at that time, it was already answered. There was no need to ask this question. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord and who can enter the holy place? Well, we already know. You have to be a little of the Levitical tribe. You gotta be a, a Levitical priest. That's who can enter the holy place. But David, being on the outside and of the tribe of Judah and shut out of God's presence, there's something in him is, that is saying there's gotta be another way in. There's gotta be access for someone like me. David, who met the Lord on the backside of the desert, alienated from his own family, David would pen the words, God sets the lonely in families. David was the one of this revelation of this father God that took him in when no one else would. David begins to wrestle with this question. There's got to be a way that I can get into the holy place. There's got to be a way. And this explains why David, when he took the Ark of the Covenant between the tabernacle and Solomon's temple, you have David with this whole different form of structure for worship. David sets up essentially a pup tent ignores the, what the, this three-tiered system that God had given to Moses and that his son Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, replicates. In the interim time, David sets up this one-tiered system and everybody can come and worship. 
And he does it not out of disobedience or disregard for the word of God. He does it out of revelation. It comes out of Psalm 24 when he asks this question, God, who can ascend and who can stand in your holy place? And the Lord, by revelation, gives him the requirements. It's a whole nother priesthood. He understood, okay, there's the Levitical way, but I'm left out. And David discovers an entirely new priesthood called the Melchizedek priesthood. Abram recognized that Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. Moses recognized it in writing about it in the Pentateuch, but it wasn't until David, and we see this in Psalm 110, David is the guy with the revelation that there is an order of Melchizedek. You see, David's hungry and he's saying, God, what's the deal? I want in and I wasn't born to the right family. You're going to leave me out because I didn't have the right lineage? And David finds this little secret back in Genesis, this guy named Melchizedek, who's a priest of the Most High God. And David looks, he wasn't a Levite. He ruled from Salem, which would eventually become Jerusalem, And that explains why David was so hungry for that city because it was the throne of a priest king called Melchizedek. And David said, I'm going to be a priest king and I'm going to rule and reign from there and I'm going to set up a new form of worship out of revelation, not out of disobedience or disregard. And so he built this tabernacle, a one system So anybody could come as long as they fulfilled the criteria that God showed him. What was it? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, a pure heart, and who lifts his soul not to an idol. That's the criteria. So even when David was living as a New Testament man under the Old Testament, and he was, make no mistake about it. David did things that under the Old Covenant, the only only consequence was death. There was no sacrifice. And David had the audacity to ask God for forgiveness for murder and adultery, and God shined his face on David and gave it to him. There was no provision under that Old Covenant under which David was supposed to be living, but David by faith reached into the future and lived as a new covenant man under the old covenant. But even under that new covenant that David had a revelation of, there's a criteria. If you want to stand clean hands, a pure heart, you lift not your soul to an idol. You wash your hands of the impurities. If there are things that your hands have done that you need to make right, you make those things right so that you can stand in his presence. He says, have a pure heart. Heart purity in scripture, it's a fascinating study. Maybe in the near future we'll get into this. It's been a while since I've taught on this. But if you look in the, in the, the biblical record of what pure in heart means. It's not so much, you know, we think today in our, our, our modern mind, a pure heart is someone that's not into pornography. 
is usually what people will say when you talk about a pure heart. But it, it really has to do with singular focus. And if you have that, you don't have to worry about pornography or a myriad of other things. It's about the singular pursuit of God. You're, it's not, there's not other interests and desires and agendas vying for your attention. That's why James says, purify your heart. And then he adds, who needs the pure heart? He's giving the cure for the diagnosis. Purify your heart. That's the cure. You double-minded. That's the diagnosis. That's the illness that needs cured. Double-mindedness, the, the Greek word is disuke. It's, it's in James. He's saying that there's two things your heart is pursuing. I want God, but I want these other things. And in the context of James, he's really talking about self-glorification. And he's talking about it in the context of ministry, which is a very disconcerting thing. It's talking about the motives. It's talking about doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And he's saying, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so it's that heart purity. It's that saying, God, I want that singular, per, that, that singular pursuit. I want, I, wanna, I want to want one thing. Until you can say, God, I want one thing, can you at least pray, God, I want to want one thing? Remember, when I worked at Teen Challenge, we had this little tiny sign. I was out there the other day, and it's no longer there. Little tiny sign. Someone had embroidered it, and it had this one long word. It said, you gotta wanna. That was one word. And I thought, you know what? God is so merciful, I don't even have to wanna. I just gotta wanna wanna. I remember telling the Lord when I got saved, I said, God, I don't love you. My heart was so wrapped around a bunch of garbage. I was so deceived and tormented and demonized. But Jesus had reached in to a borrowed bedroom and, and saved this homeless alcoholic. But I was still, I, was, I had all this stuff. I just, I was a mess. But I remember just crying out to God and saying, God, I don't love you. I don't even want to serve you, but I want to want to. And Lord, I'm willing to go through the motions if you'll work in my heart and give me the want to. Now, I don't know about you, but if I met someone that said that to me, I think I'd send them packing. That is so offensive that the God of the universe was merciful to me and I had the audacity to tell him I don't love you and I don't want to serve you, but I want to want to. And all he needed was that little crack in the door and he came flooding in and changed my heart. I've often thought if I ever start a camp, it's gonna be camp called Camp You Gotta Wanna Wanna. <laughs> We're gonna go to Camp You Gotta Wanna Wanna. You're gonna encounter God. And I'm telling you this morning, there may be things in your life that you're, the tentacles of your heart have grown around and you know it's not pleasing to the Lord. It may not even be wrong things, it's just wrong because of the level in which your heart is connected to it. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you'll just say, God, I want to want the right things. I want to not want these things anymore. God will take you at your word and he'll begin to work. And you'll either quit praying that prayer and go back or you will quit wanting those things as you pray that prayer because he will take you at your word.
My son, Nathaniel, was asking me about that story of Abraham where God came to him and said, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac. And God said, comma, the one you love. The Lord wasn't evading the subject. He was going right for the jugular. Abraham, all of your destiny, all the promises of God, everything that you've lived for is wrapped up in this son, this miracle son of your old age. Everything that I've promised you for your whole life is wrapped up in him. And now you're too wrapped up in him. I want you to put him to death. And he goes up on the mountain and he lifts, it says he, you know, there's this vivid picture. It says, Isaac carried the wood for the fire and Abraham carried the fire and the knife and they walked together. It's a picture of Calvary. The son of God carrying his own cross, going up Mount Calvary, but the father beside him with the fire of his wrath and the ultimate death he must die. And they went in unison, no argument, no resistance. And he lays his son down and his son's Hey, Abraham's an old man by this time. Isaac could have easily overtaken him. But he lays down. He said, Dad, I don't understand. And his dad lifts the knife. And all of a sudden, that same voice that said, sacrifice your son, your only son. He said, Abraham. He says his name a second time. He said, withhold your hand, for now I know that you fear me. A.W. Tozer in his book, Pursuit of God, there, I want to say it's chapter, well, it's, it's the chapter called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. And he talks about that story. Find the book and read it. Search for it online. You could probably get it for free as a PDF. The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. And once you've read A.W. Tozer's take on that story, you'll never be able to read it any other way again. And what he was saying is that God was removing Isaac from that place in his heart that only God should be. When he was finally willing to give him up, God said, now you can have him back because now you'll interact with him in the right way. Sometimes what we call love is idolatry and it destroys the very thing we claim to love. And God has to put his finger on it. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in this holy place? He has clean hands, a pure heart, and does not lift his soul to an idol. There is... There are layers of access to God's presence. There's a reason that some people walk with God in a deeper way than others. And it's not because God plays favorites. God doesn't say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna gonna let them have something that I won't let you have. It's not about that. It's about our heart attitude. Scripture is very clear that God is no respecter of persons. However, he is a respecter of heart attitude. He's no respecter of persons, but he does have favorites. Not because he just says, I'm going to give you favor because I'm going to give you favor. There's a heart attitude that God favors. So what I'm saying is this, that your access, the level with which you walk with him, what you have in God 
is not limited by God, but by you and I. You could say there's three things at least, three things that will put a lid on your access to God. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about what you enjoy this side of heaven. Hunger, how hungry are you? In a very real and very uncomfortable way, you have as much of God as you want right now. You already have as much of him as you want. I was sitting in my, I've got a recliner in my bedroom. My kids say, Dad, why do you take naps in your office at home but study in your bedroom? I don't know. But the, probably because the, the chair I sit in in my bedroom, I've had for about 30 years. It is morphed to my body. And I was sitting in that chair yesterday just just weeping over this thing, just the Spirit of God coming on me over that idea that you have as much of him as you want. And it grieved my heart because I want more, but obviously there are times where it feels like the price is too high. It's like I'm too easily distracted. And it's not that we earn it by doing spiritual push-ups like fasting and spending time. The, the fact is you can't have a relationship with someone unless you spend time with them. You just can't. And there is something about that pursuit of God, that hungering after him. As we begin to pursue him, God begins to deal with the barriers, not between him and us, but in our own heart. The things that will keep us from him. He'll begin to put his finger on things. And so if we're not willing to deal with those, if we're not willing to pursue him, then we live with what we have. There's always more in God. We will never plumb the depths of who he is. He is infinite. For I am convinced that in eternity, it's gonna be the same way. There are gonna be people in eternity that are closer to God than others. I've got four minutes. Let me land it here. Let me just throw something out to you. It, when Moses was receiving the law from the Lord, this is what the Lord told him. He said, invite the children of Israel, the whole tribe, all those were who were his people, invite them to the mountain, and they were going to encounter God. But he said this, he said, set limits for them. The limits were for their protection, because not everybody could handle what was going to happen on that mountain. And so there, was, there were barriers, there were limits and so the, most of the children of Israel could go so far and they could just watch from far. And then, but the Lord said, but you, Moses, can come up to me. So Moses disappears in the cloud and what looked like sure death to everyone else, this cloud with thunder and lightning and flames and, and I mean, it was a terrifying thing. Moses disappears and what looked like terrifying death to Moses was tremendous intimacy. And then the Lord says, go back down and make sure they don't rush, they don't, they don't rush the mountain and they'll die. And he said, I want you to bring back Aaron, Nadab Abihu, Joshua, and 70 of the elders of Israel. We're back to eldership. There was something he was going to give access to these individuals that the rest of the children of Israel didn't have. 
And so they go up, and it says that they ate with him on a glassy sea. Can you imagine? I mean, I can't imagine being one of the guys that's just standing at the bottom of the mountain. And I can't imagine watching the others get access where you have to stay there, and they get to climb up. And you see, I would propose to you that God's looking for David's that when they say, you have to stay here, there's something in your heart that says, but God, I've met you, you've touched me, and you wouldn't leave me out. There's got to be another way. So Moses and the 70 elders, they sat and, and feasted with the Lord. It says they saw him, and it was like, the, it was like a sea of sapphire, and they ate dinner with the Lord. What do they say? Mic drop. I mean, that's, that's amazing. It's mind-blowing. And then the Lord says, tell them they have to stay. And he brings Joshua. The Lord says to him, come up farther, Moses. And the, and he, but he brings Joshua with him. The Lord told him to come, but it says, so Moses and his aide, Joshua, went up farther. And then finally, Joshua had to wait while Moses went in. And it said that God spoke to Moses face to face and mouth to mouth like one would speak to a friend. He was there six whole days before the Lord spoke. He's in this swirling activity and it's silence except for the thunder and all, but there's, there's no voice. And then on the seventh day, the Lord spoke to him. That alone is indicative of why Moses was allowed access. Six days of just sitting and waiting. Moses went on a, he was up there 40 days, 40 day fast, came down, broke the tablets and went up another 40 days, 80 days without food. One of the scenarios, he laid on his face for 40 days in intercession for the nation, and God spared the nation. These kind of men like Moses and David, and I'm telling you, God hasn't changed his mind on how he reacts to those type of people. Go ahead and stand. I'm going to read to you something real quick here. I don't, yes, I'm going to read it to you. I don't even know how to tie this in with what I've been talking about. I really just want to provoke some hunger in you today. Just raise your hands right now. Father, Lord, we're asking God that you would release those fiery arrows into our heart right now, Lord. Lord, we ask, God, that you're, Lord, those angels that are around your throne, Lord, that you'd commission them, Lord, to release fire to our hearts, Lord. Let us burn for you. And, Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would grant us faith to believe. Lord, I'm asking out of this room that you would raise up David's and Moses's. Lord, those who will not take no for an answer, that will continue to press in until you reveal yourself, Lord. God, we ask for a ravenous hunger in Jesus' name. I want to read you something. Many of you know Joel Budd. He's a, 
a dear friend of this house. He and his wife, Linda Pastor in Tulsa. And uh, I trust Joel. Joel had an encounter back at the beginning of 20, or it was that really, uh, it was in 2019 in worship. And he told me about it. He said that an angel came up and bumped him in worship. And he said, Lord, what is this? And the Lord took him into a vision and showed him great disruption in 2020. Showed him the colors of spring and there was tremendous disruption. And then in the fall, another tremendous disruption. I think he was right. And then he saw tremendous glory coming and he said the glory that came just erased all the trauma of the pain. He said the glory was so strong it made us forget about all the heartache of the disruptions. And this is what he wrote me during worship this morning. He said, David, that same messenger angel came, that came in 2020 showed up and showed me disruptions that were about to come, came to me last Friday and said, what the Lord said, and what the Lord says, there will be no shortage of those who are in Christ Jesus. I believe that's talking about harvest. He said he just showed up again in worship today and told me, declare the message with God's authority. A few minutes ago, I suddenly felt impressed to deliver this message to you. The message from the angel included, all you need will be met according to God's riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Take it for you, your family, and people. And... Uh, I trust Joel. And so, Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we receive your provision. Lord, that you are going to take care of your people. Lord, we thank you for coming harvest. There'll be no shortage of those who are in Christ Jesus. But Lord, we thank you that also we can look to you for provision, Lord. Our needs as a church as families, as individuals, will be met according to your riches in Christ Jesus. We thank you for it. Now, Lord, as we go this morning, I ask God that you would take your word and go deeper in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.